Welcome to History of College Football Podcast. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest, Mr. Chris Zorich, JD, former defensive tackle, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, two-time All-American, UPI's 1989 Lineman of the Year, 1989 Chevrolet's College Defensive Player of the Year, 1990 Lombardi Award winner, MVP of the 1991 Orange Bowl, member of Walter Camp's College Football All-Century Team, named to Sports Illustrated's all-time Notre Dame team, and inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. And sir, I have not even touched upon your time with the Chicago Bears or the Washington <laughs> Redskins. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Zorich. That's at C-H-R-I-S underscore Z-O-R-I-C-H and his podcast, youtube.com forward slash Chris Zorich 50. Today, Mr. Zorich and I will discuss his time as a player at Notre Dame and the college football history of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. It is indeed an honor to have you on my podcast. First, tell me, sir, what brought you to Notre Dame? Well, Jay, thank, first of all, thank you so much for that great introduction. It, some of these things I, I totally forgot that I had even accomplished, so that's pretty cool. So I do appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it, it's really a funny story, actually. Uh, I kind of grew up in a rough neighborhood um, where uh, folks really didn't go to college. Hmm. And um, it was a big deal if you graduated from high school and where, where most of the kids in the neighborhood actually had accomplished a high school education, and then you, you went on to work. So my knowledge of college football was, I, I had no idea. I really didn't even know about it. And um, I just went to my local high school because it was, it was local. I mean, I had some friends that went there. So it wasn't like my high school was a football powerhouse or anything. And I started playing football my sophomore year and at the end of my junior year, a, one of the assistant coaches from Notre Dame uh, came up to the school and said, you know, hey, how would you like to attend the University of Notre Dame? And for those folks who may not know, my high school is 92 miles away from the University of Notre Dame mm. in Southern Indiana. And our apartment at the time was 96 miles. It was a 96 mile drive from our apartment in Chicago to the University of Notre Dame. So when he asked me, hey, how would you like to attend the University of Notre Dame? My response was, well, I'd love to, but my mom doesn't like to fly. Huh. So he looked at me kind of strange and said, what do you mean your mom doesn't like to fly? And this is the honest to God's truth. I said, there's no way my mom would fly to France just to see me play. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and said, what do you mean fly to France? And I was like, well, you guys got the hunchback guy in the church, right? <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and said, son, you know, we're only 90 miles away. And I was like, what? And I'm sure he was like stunned because I mean, you know, what high school prospect hasn't heard of Notre Dame, right? I mean, what high school prospect hasn't, they may not have knowledge of the recruiting process, but they wouldn't know about college, and especially Notre Dame, right? I mean, I, I had no, so he kind of looked at me kind of strange and said, 
are you being serious? I'm like, yes, absolutely. He was like, son, we're, you know, we're 90 miles away. And I was like, oh my God, really? And so he left me a media guide and said, well, why don't you take a look at this and, and give us a call later? And he gave it, <laughs> and she walked out of there going, oh my God, this guy has no clue. You know, well, he's never going to come in there today because he doesn't even know where the hell we are. What a great story. I'm glad you ended up at Notre Dame. Oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I did too. It has changed my life. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoy kind of my process. <laughs> great story. Mr. Zorich, I understand you have a podcast. Uh, can you I tell do. a little bit about the podcast? Sure. Um, it's kind of funny, actually. We kind of talk about Notre Dame. And it's funny because um, although I had no knowledge of Notre Dame, my, ju my junior in high school, um, I have since obviously fell in love with the institution, uh, went there undergrad, went there for law school, actually worked in the athletic department for about three years. So spent a ton of time there. Uh, during that time, um, I really obviously fell in love with the place. And I have a podcast now that I started uh, actually May of 20, actually. Um, and it was... Uh, well, it's, it's centered around the University of Notre Dame athletic department. And so I've interviewed former players. I've interviewed former coaches, uh, current players in the NFL, um, authors, um, folks in the South Bend uh, uh, area media where, the, where, where Notre Dame is, and, and really kind of wanted to get a sense of kind of, you know, where did this love of Notre Dame come from? Um, we've talked about the, the players experiences there. And one of the things that I wanted to do was kind of leave out all the stats. Um, you know, I'm not concerned about rocket scoring, you know, how many touchdowns rocket may have scored or how many tackles Mike Stonebreaker may have had. Um, I kind of want to talk about their experiences there. You know, what was their favorite place on campus? Um, you know, what, what, what dorm did you live in? Have you been back in a while? Um, you know, what was a, a non-athletic moment for you on the campus. And so it's, I mean, folks kind of love it because I've been able to kind of uh, uh, um, get a different side of the player, which uh, a lot of interviews may not occur, right? Because um, when you're being interviewed by somebody in the sports industry, all they're talking about is tackles and sacks and, and, and your stats, actually. But when you have kind of a, a former player who's kind of been all that and who's may not necessarily be impressed that you may have scored, you know, the, the last touchdown of the year or whatever. Um, I mean, he really wants to know, you know, what, what your experience was like, you know, how did your family enjoy it? So I, I come from a little different perspective when I'm interviewing uh, our guests, you know, I was even able to interview Rudy. Uh, I was able, I was able to interview wow. Coach Holtz. So kind of seeing, um, Coach Holtz's perspective um, when he's being interviewed by a former player, I think is really unique because I don't think it's ever been done before and especially hasn't been done for, for someone who's not in the media, let's say, right? So, you know, I'm asking the questions about his childhood and kind of, you know, who were his mentors. And, and, and I don't think a lot of people in the sports industry may even know that, that Luke Holtz actually had a mentor versus um, kind of all the success he has had. So it, it's, it's really fun. Uh, folks seem to like it. And uh, a lot of times, um, you know, it's just kind of two guys hanging out, having a really good time, even though we may not be, we may not have been on the same team. You know, we've shared that same locker. We've, we've shared those experiences together. So, so that's kind of a bond that really kind of resonates 
through, you know, players, let's say like Rocky Blyer up until uh, someone like uh, a current player on the Steelers named uh, Stephon Tuitt. So, you know, even though I didn't play with either, either of them, you know, I, I know that experience. And so it was, it's been really enjoyable. What a great format for a podcast. Absolutely phenomenal. I'd like to turn to your days at Notre Dame. Sure. And I guess we'll start in your sophomore year. In 1988, you led the defense that led the Irish to a 12-0 record, a national <laughs> championship. Your defense was third in the nation, holding teams to 12.3 points per game. Tell us about actually your first game that season. Understand you made quite the debut. Uh, well, you know, it's kind of, I'm, I'm laughing because like, I didn't even play my freshman year or my, yeah, my freshman year, I was on the scout team, you know, I was holding bags for our starting offensive line, basically. Right. And hmm. so I really kind of never knew what opportunities were out there. I just worked hard. And so I worked hard um, during during my freshman year in the off season, and was able to to earn a starting position uh, on our defense, which I obviously wanted to happen. But it was just kind of this amazing experience. And the first game I ever played in was Notre Dame's first night game that mm. they had, and they played Michigan. And mm. the largest crowd I had played in front of before that game uh, was maybe 65, maybe 85 people at my high school. Wow. So I went from, you know, playing in front of 85 people to walking through the tunnel at Notre Dame, which was a crazy experience. I have the chills now talking about it. But the first time I did that, I couldn't believe the experience and lights were on, you know, it was night game. It was a popular game. I mean, millions of people watched it. We had a, a full crowd of like 60,000 people. And I remember kind of walking out to kind of looking around going, wow, this is, this is amazing. <laughs> and then literally within seconds, you know, we were out there playing. So um, I was fortunate enough. Uh, I don't know how this happened, but I had uh, a really good game. I wound up having like uh, 10 tackles and a couple sacks or something like that. But as a debut for a sophomore who had never play and then I, I got I changed positions as well so I came in as a linebacker and I sucked as a linebacker I was too slow mm. and I uh Lou Holtz moved me to defensive line and so now you're talking about like I had to learn a whole new position and so it was just this wow. kind of really amazing experience and to cap it off I was able to kind of play and have a great game the first game that I ever played I get chills listening to you. <laughs> the debut you made, though, is legendary. Mr. Zurich, what was your toughest game that national championship season? Uh, wow, the toughest game. Um, you know, there were, there were a couple, and, and, well, you know, there were a couple because even in the first game, right, against Michigan, um, our offense didn't really play that well and our defense really had to, to you know kind of come through but even if you look at our defense if not for our special teams if not for a 5-2 uh, kicker by the name of Reggie Ho who came from um, Hawaii I think he kicked like four or five field goals I mean had he not made those field goals we would not have won the first game I mean so it, it was interesting because each game had its importance but really kind of the the um, 
I'd say the hardest game, even though the Miami game was a great game, um, I have to say the game that we played before the national championship game, which was against um, uh, University of Southern uh, California, uh, USC, because we were ranked one, they were ranked number two. And if any folks kind of know about that game who, who are listening, um, Lou Holtz, the evening before the game, sent home our starting running back and our starting receiver because they missed our curfew. Hmm. So you send two starters home the night before one of the biggest games. And it was amazing because we had a team meeting the following morning and, you know, Holtz announced that he had sent these kids home and we're all stunned. You know, we're like, whoa, what, what? And you know, he, 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 he said that, you know, Hey, you know, I sent them home, you know, uh, seniors, this is your team. And he walked out. And so we had like a fifth year senior stand up. We had a whole bunch of seniors stand up and talk about how important this game was and we could win without those guys. And at that point, I mean, so that was probably one of the most inspiring hardest games that we had to play that year, even though the game against Miami was a really tough game. What a great, great story. Thank you. So, so it kind of leads into that, that season. Was there a moment when you got the feeling this was it, you're going to win the national championship? Uh, you know, it's funny because kind of Lou Holtz's philosophy was, I mean, every game's the most important game. Yes, sir. And so, you know, we wound up playing Rice that year. We wound up playing Navy that year. And, you know, going into those games, you know, we felt that Rice, who had actually had the worst winning record in the NCAA history at the time, you know, we thought they were going to beat us. Mm. So, you know, he, he was able to kind of motivate us even for our, our lesser opponents. And so, I mean, kind of being in that environment, we were um, under the impression that we could lose at any time. And so uh, when you look at kind of, um, you know, what was the toughest game, it really was every game. But if you want to talk about a game that that was actually – that we, we knew we belonged, it would be the game against Miami that year, which mm. we wound up uh, winning 31 to 30, which wound up being like this this uh, epic game that was, there was a, a ESPN 30 for 30 on it. It was, they kind of dubbed it Catholic versus convicts. And, and then that was the one where um, uh, Miami had come into our stadium literally just beating the crap out of their name. Like in the last, maybe probably maybe five or 10 years, they just dominated them. And all of a sudden they came in here and, and there was, there was a different attitude. Um, we had, uh, we, we, we got in a skirmish even before the game. Mm -hmm. They, um, we were doing our, our calisthenics and they kind of ran through our line and that's kind of the one thing that you don't necessarily do. You're supposed to go on the side. And so we wound up getting a confrontation and it was a big deal. Cause I think we kind of surprised them because they had been used to Notre Dame kind of 
always bowing down to them. And then all of a sudden, and there, there were a lot, of, a lot of younger players on the team. And we didn't know about kind of all those losses in the past. And so we just, I mean, we knew what we wanted to do. I mean, I, I was re- recruited by Miami. Um, there was Pat Terrell who had a bunch of friends on Miami's team. So, I mean, we kind of knew who our, who our opponents were and we knew that we could beat them. And so we weren't going to back down. And then kind of the, the famous line that happened after we fought outside when we got in the locker room, uh, Holtz gave his 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 speech before the game, and then the last part he said, he he talked about if we're gonna fight, we can do it after the game, and you leave Jimmy Johnson's ass for me. <laughs> and Lou Holtz never swore, so for him to say ass, and for <laughs> him to say, I mean, Lou Holtz being like a hundred and five pounds soaking wet, and okay. Jimmy Johnson playing, I mean, he he played college football before, so. We knew that it was like, but he just got just so excited and, and fired up. And we we left the locker room, almost knocked him down. And, and that was the, really the, uh, um, the, what was the start of kind of our success against um, really, really good opponents. Oh, that is great stuff. Absolutely fascinating insight. <laughs> you went on to defeat West Virginia 34 to 21 to secure the national championship. Can you tell us the atmosphere of the locker room before the game? Any insight as to what Colt, Colt Holtz had said to you in the pregame talk? Um, I don't remember exactly what Holtz said, but I do remember kind of what was going on in the locker room. And it was really quiet and really surreal. Um, no one was yelling. No one was kind of banging their head on the locker or anything like that. Because we had felt that, and, and we had watched, obviously, tons and tons of game film. Um eventually what would happen when we would actually knock major Harris out of the game. Mm. And I mean, he was the, the biggest threat. And so the game wound up being right. very lopsided and, 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 and our defense dominating it, but we knew what we had to do. And so we felt that the national championship was won against Miami against USC. And really? so, because those were our tougher opponents and we knew, although we, we knew we had to beat West Virginia f- to win the national championship, we had already been through two of, the, of the, the, the toughest games that year. And so this was going to be just another game for us. And so, you know, folks weren't kind of, like I'm saying, they, they weren't yell- there wasn't a lot of yelling. It, it was just kind of calm and surreal, knowing that, hey, this is what we have to do. And if it, when we, it wasn't even like if, but after we accomplish this goal, we're going to be national champions. Wow. I so appreciate the honesty and detail you bring into this. Incredible. <laughs> Let's go to your next season, 1989. Yes. Man, you took the country by storm, sir. UPI lineman of the year, Chevrolet <laughs> defensive player of the year. And you anchored a defense that led the Irish to a 12 and one record number two in the nation in the final AP poll. Talk to me a little bit about that year, Mr. Zurich. Well, you know, it's really interesting because, I mean, I was a sophomore when, when, when we won the national championship. Okay. And the idea was, and we had so many young players who were um, on the starting defense and offense as well. So we figured this was going to happen literally every year. Um, we had the players. We knew who our toughest opponents were. 
we felt as though we can beat them. And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned kind of through my sophomore and junior year was what it took to be a leader, what it took to be on top constantly, right? So you talk about after we won the national championship, or I think, no, it was actually the week before that we were ranked, or maybe a, a couple of weeks before that we were ranked number one. And so we had been number one, ranked number one going into, I think the last maybe 20 games or something like that, ranked number one. And when you have that type of bullseye on your chest, you get the best of the best of what those players and what your opponents right. are going to do, right? So knowing that you're at the top of your game, and having the chance to have everybody in the country kind of want to take you down, that really is added pressure. And so that's literally what we thrived on. And so going into the Miami game, which was the second to last game of the year for us, you know, we were undefeated. We were um, 11 and 0. Yes, sir. And we were ranked number one. And we had just won the national championship last year. And then Miami actually won it in 87. And so like we, we were going into the, we, it was a home game for Miami. We went into their house. I mean, it was crazy chaotic. We had just beat them the year before. And, you know, we have this, uh, uh, this aggressive attitude, bravado. I mean, we were just the, the kings of the hill. Yes, sir. And we weren't going to back down to anybody. And, you know, if you got in our face, you know, we were, we were just going to dominate you. And we had gotten to a small skirmish before the game again. <laughs> and Lou Holtz kind of got everybody back, not in the locker room yet, but kind of back from the, the confrontation we had. And then when he got us in the locker room, and I can only say this now because uh, actually on my podcast, um, uh, Lou Holtz talked about this situation. And the one game that he re regrets his actions was this game. It was the, 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 the 89 Miami game. Really? Where when he got us back in the locker room, he literally deflated us. And he basically said that, hey, if you guys get in a fight, I'm going to resign. If you guys get in a fight, you know, this is not the, the, the Notre Dame way. This is not uh, the reputation. This is not how we do things, even though, you know, we, we are going to um, stoop low as our opponent. If they want to fight, we're going to walk away, those type of things. But now that wasn't who we were. I mean, like I said, if you got in our way, we just dominated you. I mean, if you, you pointed a finger at us, we pointed a fist at you. So yeah. it was kind of this, this new, I don't want to say improved, but the, kind of this new attitude that Notre Dame had, you know, we were tired of being pushed around by opponents in the past. Right. And so you had a lot of these players who were now in their second year starting. They had the confidence. They were all Americans. Uh, they had a chip on their shoulder. They had attitude, they had confidence. And we were playing a team that had just as many, if not more all Americans who had confidence, who, I mean, so it was literally, a, 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 it was going to be a tough battle. So he walked around and said, you know, he's going to quit. He's going to quit. He's going to resign. And so we're all like, 
what? Like, are you kidding? so literally, if you can think about kind of going into the locker room and, and having the level of a uh, hundred being aggressive and, hey, we're going to go out there and dominate our opponent. And then all of a sudden, after his speech, we get a locker room and that emotional level is no longer at a hundred. It's like at 13, oh. right? I mean, it, it just, yeah. he, he took all the fight out of us. Um, and we, we went out there and we wound up losing the game. Mm. So that was our only loss in the, the 89 season. And so I had never heard coach Holtz talk about how he regretted that game or I'm sorry, he regretted what he did before the game. And I never, I mean, I never saw it in publication or anything like that. And so on the podcast, I was like, oh, and it was kind of unsolicited. It wasn't like, hey, Coach Holtz, how did you feel when you uh, took all of our, all the wind out of us, you know, right, right. for the game, for the, Miami, the 89 Miami game? I didn't ask that question. He just kind of volunteered one of the things that he regrets was doing that uh, be, before the game. So even though it was kind of 30 years later, um, I had a, a lot of the former players kind of reach out to me and say, wow, I didn't know he felt that way. And so, you know, kind of in your, in our own little groups, we kind of felt that that's what happened to us. Like we would have beat the crap out of Miami again, but our coach threatened to quit if we got into a fight and I'm, and I'm not saying that fighting is condoned or good, but, but that's kind of who our, what our reputation was. We were this aggressive swarming defense and, you know, we were dominating people on offense. So if you got in front of us or you, you talk crap to us, we were going to dominate you. And that was part of our aggression. And so he wound up kind of uh, um, deflating us. And so, but again, to have him apologize and to hear him hear it come from his mouth, I was just amazed. Wow incredible information i want to thank you for sharing that no oh, yeah it was, it was it was amazing amazing uh at season's end in the 1990 orange bowl against colorado uh, your fighting irish defeated the buffaloes 21 <laughs> 21 to 6 right. how difficult was it to defense defense against that vaunted running game that they had it was it was it was crazy because they had the enemy i mean who's currently the offense coordinator for for the chiefs i mean it, you know, they, they were an amazing option team. I mean, it was now we were lucky because we were able to practice against uh, Tony Rice the whole time, right? Which we yeah. obviously felt was, was one of the best option quarterbacks to ever play the game. So that was, we were lucky in that regard, but coming off of a, a, a huge emotional loss and then having to kind of um, hopefully redeem ourselves and prove that we belong in the national championship conversation was really an important goal. And so having a chance to go out there and hopefully dominate a tremendous team. I forgot how, how many yards they were averaging. I think I want to say somewhere around four or 500 yards a game. Um, so, I mean, that was obviously important for, for our defense. So knowing that we were, we were going to, to stop them was, of the utmost importance, but if we, we felt as though if we dominated them, then we would have a chance to kind of be in that conversation about uh, possibly kind of going in through the back door with winning a national championship. Wow. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I see that. The next season in the 1991 Orange Bowl, your Irish uh, faced a little deja vu. Uh, you faced 
Colorado again for the second straight year in the Orange Bowl. Yes, he was named MVP of the 1991 Orange Bowl. You led a defense that held the number one team in the nation with the number six rushing attack with the number two rusher, Eric Bieniemy. You held them to 10 points in a 10 to nine loss to the Buffaloes. Talk a little bit about that game. How did you, how did you manage to just stifle them so completely? It, it, well, it, it really, it was, it was kind of a, a, a redemption, so to speak, because redemption. even though we felt as though we lost, well, we obviously lost against Miami. Um, we had beaten um, uh, University of Colorado in the Orange Bowl in 89. And then in 90, you know, we, we thought we were going to be on the run again. And then we wound up losing one game and then a couple more. And so it was almost as though we, we knew our season was going to be for naught because, you know, having a chance to win the national championship is a goal of ours every year. Or I'm sorry, was a goal of ours every year. Yes, sir. And we knew that if we lost some games, we would be out of the hunt. But there was an outside chance if you know there was it was raining on a Tuesday and teams are going to practice in mud that there was a possibility we may have we, we may be able to to win it if we if, if we beat Colorado again. And again, they they as, as you mentioned, I mean, they had this amazing amazing running attack and. We felt that we, we can go in there and dominate them on, on defense again, that we would have a chance to beat them. And then I think there was a possibility that if a couple teams beat somebody out, beat some someone else, and then, like I said, lightning struck on the left instead of the right side of the street, that we there's a possibility <laughs> we could have won like a national championship. But um, the last game or the last I think it was um a couple more plays in the fourth quarter um where Rocket was going to have a chance to kind of um hopefully win the game for us yes sir and it was interesting because um Rocket obviously is, is an amazing player and he he looked over to the sideline at Coach Holtz and he, he kind of pointed and said, he's going to take it back. <sighs> and I didn't see any of this. And uh, I was fortunate <laughs> enough to have Rocket on my podcast and he talks about this exact situation. And, but it's amazing because he, he's able to go kind of from detail to detail about like each move he made and he talked about how, like, when he finally so, so the, there was a punt, and yep. then he, he basically ran it back, and he re, he was in the end zone, and he had hear, he heard all the cheering, all the players piled on him, and then all of a sudden, I think Ricky Waters was like, "No!" And then Rocket looked up, and there was a, a distant yellow uh, piece of cloth that was on the field. And then that was kind of known in the the Notre Dame lore as the phantom clip. Phantom clip. Right. And, and so you kind of look back, it wasn't a clip. I mean, again, depending on the angle, but then again, it wasn't, I mean, it was far enough from the play where it really wasn't going to make a difference. And so had Rocket scored that touchdown, we, we would have won the game. Yes, sir. And then would have had the chance to maybe, like I said, back door 
the opportunity to maybe even be in the, in, in the national championship conversation. That didn't happen, but um, I was kind of, after the game, I was kind of so overwhelmed with emotion. And there's kind of this famous photo again in Notre Dame lore of me sitting on the bench, just sobbing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, I was crying, not because we lost the game. And obviously I felt bad about that, but I just realized at that moment that my Notre Dame career was, was, was going to be over. Oh. And, and I loved it. I mean, I loved playing so much, loved the guys, loved the camaraderie on the team and all that emotion just kind of came over me. And, and I remember there was a, a news, uh, there was a reporter that came up to me afterward and it was a Christian, how you feeling? How you feeling? And I couldn't even talk. And he wound up just kind of like chewing the camera away. And he wound up walking away. Cause he just, I mean, I, I again, was just beyond kind of comprehension, just kind of sobbing. Yes. And it was really an amazing moment because I, I realized at that time that, you know, my college career was going to be over. Oh. And, you know, you think about, you know, a, a, what, like 14, 15 year old kid who knew nothing about Notre Dame his sophomore year in, in high school, or I'm sorry, my, my junior year in high school. And then you fast forward just a couple of years and here I, I have all this passion, all this love, you know, all this um, emotion for the, the University of Notre Dame. You know, it was just kind of this amazing experience that, that actually was, was finally going to come to an end. Wow. I, I admire the way you came full circle on that too with <laughs> going back to high school. What incredible inside information. Um, I could hear the passion in your voice. No, thank you. Incredible. Um, and, and I always wanted to know that about, about Rocket, if he ever really did say something right before that punt return. And, and you say he did gesture and say- Right, right. He, he, he kind of pointed to Coach Holtz. And then it was interesting because on my podcast, he also talks about kind of what he, sh what he should have done afterward because after the play, like and he went back on the sideline and there's still a couple minutes in the game, but he felt so dejected. Mm. And being a leader on the team, you know, he didn't realize that other folks were kind of looking at him to kind of see how he was going to react. And he, would, he had his head down and, you know, he, he was kind of moping. And he wasn't like swearing and mad and upset, but he was just like all the, um, all of the excitement was gone. Sure, and, and, sure. and he talked about later and he was, what was he, 19 years old? You know, I mean, it, it, it's kind of hard to kind of judge what should happen as a 19 year old after something <clears> like that happens. But he, and he, he really talked about how and what that was a huge lesson for him because, you know, after that, he knew that every time things didn't go his way, again, in life, um, if things didn't go his way, you know, there are people looking, his children, you know, his wife, his family, his business associates, you know, they're all looking at him to kind of see what, how he's going to react. And mm. from that lesson on, you know, he, he was able to, or from that situation on, he was able to learn from that and always kept a positive attitude. And, you know, you, you think about what happened, you know, you fast forward a couple months later and, you know, he sounds with the, um, the, the Canadian football league for umpteen millions of dollars, you know? And so it, right. it's the situation where there's obviously a, a positive end to kind of his college career, but again, you know, he felt as though he let his team down 
by kind of showing that he was unhappy and, and upset with, with the result. Oh, what a great follow-up. Thank you, sir. How fast was Rocket? <laughs> um, I, I forgot when he ran the 40, but, um, you know, we would always try to practice against them. And although um, Coach Holtz wouldn't allow us to hit him, um, <laughs> he would often kind of run, run certain plays. And we, as a defense, we tried to hit him, yes. but we just never got that close because he was so quick. And so I felt so bad for the defenses that played against um, our offense with, with Rockman in there because he was such a dynamic, great player that literally if, if he, if he touched the ball, there's a possibility that he would be in the end zone. Yes. yes. And, and so that really kind of, um, uh, uh, really kind of prevented a lot of defenses kind of doing the thing that, that, that their regular defense would do. They always had to worry about where's rocket and, and, and let's make sure he doesn't get the ball. And if he does, we need to hit him hard, but you know, it was it, it, it's fortunate for him because of the speed. I, I don't think he was ever hit really by, I would say at the most, maybe two people, maybe, but a lot of his tackles were solo tackles because I mean, no one could really get close to him in trying to tackle him. So to answer your question, he was, I forgot what his 40 time was, but he was beyond fast. And we were just fortunate enough that we had a chance to practice against him at least a couple times a week. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Zurich. Are you game for a few fun rapid fire questions here? Oh, uh, sure. Absolutely. Purely fun. Uh, Mr. Zurich, my podcast is dedicated to discussing the history of college football back on episode 10. We discussed the college football history of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So it seems right. natural to start there. Rapid fire questions, Notre Dame football history. In your estimation, historically, Notre Dame's greatest coach. Uh, I, I would have, although, you know, I spend time with, with a legend in Lou Holtz, I would have to say Frank Leahy. And only because, obviously, I never had a chance to meet him, but his, his stats were just amazing. There was a four-year run that he did not lose a game he only tied twice i think so by far he, he should be the best coach in Dame history thank you greatest team in notre dame history would it be one of those uh, i would have to say what that uh, maybe not one team but i mean having a chance to go undefeated for four years i mean that's so hard to do so i would have to kind of uh combine those four into one best player in notre dame history Mm, this is really, I mean, this is, we, we've had, and we've been fortunate. We've had so many great, <laughs> great players. I mean, we have a crazy amount of, of Heisman Trophy winners. Um, yes, sir. Anywhere from Tim Brown to um, uh, Leah Hewitt to, um, uh, God, I forgot everybody's name, but um, I would have to say probably, and I'm going to go defense this time because it's so hard. I'm going to have to say Ross Browner. Yes, sir. Because he was, and he played during the 70s, he was a phenomenal player, but he was so dominant during his time there that he won all those awards you mentioned that I, I won in the beginning of the interview. He won those <laughs> plus more. And what was so impressive, um, I think he was either uh, number three or four in the Heisman voting that year. Which had been unheard of for a defensive player, and he won the Maxwell Award, which was which is an award that actually goes to the best college player that year. 
So I'm going to go defense and say Ross Brown as one of the best players in Notre Dame history. I have such an appreciation for your appreciation of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Most stunning win in Notre Dame history, sir. Most stunning win. Uh, study, I would have to say, I mean, it's a tie between, oh God, what year was it? I forgot. I think it was 73. I forgot who it was, but it was uh, the Joe Montana, I think they call it the uh, a chicken soup bowl. Mm-hmm where he was sick and then halftime they gave him chicken soup and he wound up winning the game. It's a tie between that game and the game that I participated in, which is the, the 88 Miami game. Yes. Because, you know, we wound up winning by one point and it was just a, a battle literally from the time the, um, the clock started uh, until the end. Very, very good. Mr. Zorich, who is the best player you have ever played against? The best player I've ever played against, I would have to say um, there's a guy who was the center for Rice. His name was Courtney Hall. Um, he wound up mm. playing in the NFL for years upon, I think maybe over like 10, 12 years or something like that. But it was interesting because although he was on a losing team, he was very athletic and he wasn't that tall and I'm considered to be short to play defensive line or to play defensive line. And so I would always try to use my leverage against taller players. And so being 6'1", being a defensive lineman, there aren't too many defensive linemen who are 6'1". And offensive linemen obviously are, you know, they average like maybe 6'4", 6'5", 6'3", something like that. But he was kind of the, the same height I was. And so it was a battle that I thought, I mean, we wound up winning games when we played against him, but my personal battle, he just beat the crap out of me. Fantastic. Did not know that. <laughs> and, and, and you know, we would have to say that later we want to be becoming friends. And so, I mean, well, it's no a kidding. good relationship, but, and, <laughs> and I always admired him for that, that, you know, he was on this losing team, but he was such a great player. Oh, mutual admiration. I'm, I'm certain. Are you game for just a couple more fun questions? Sure, absolutely, absolutely, sure. All right, so on the spot, if I had to put you on the spot, college football history, so stepping away from Notre Dame, just college football history. Most stunning win. Wow. Um, Wow, that's a tough one. Um, You know, I'm going to go with, the and I'm gonna go recent that, yes, that 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 I was able to witness, and that was I forgot what year it was, but it was the game. I think it was Alabama and Auburn. Oh yes, where they kicked. It was going to be a field goal, I believe. Yes, sir. And Auburn, the Auburn team had a had a had a, a returner in the in the back and I'm sorry in, in case it didn't make it and it didn't make it and he wound up re- returning it for for a touchdown yes sir and I, I want to say I think that was in one of the iron bowls they had I'm not sure yes sir I actually but it was I mean that was an exciting just an amazing amazing game to watch so I would have to go with that game the kick six yes I exactly think- thank you thank you that, that's what it was that day uh on my bucket list was to go to an Ohio State-Michigan game at the big house. Okay. Like, I'm big to go to the game. 
and it was a good game. I uh-huh. fulfilled my whole bucket list. I went with my son. It was wonderful. Nice. And it happened to be played right before the kick six. So just a funny story. We were in a pizza joint and we got a, a, a cab to come get us uh-huh. and had just lined up to in that Auburn, Alabama game to, to try the field goal. Okay. And we get into the cab. We don't really think much about it. And we get out of the cab in our hotel with our pizza in hand. And everybody's talking about the most incredible game they'd ever seen. <laughs> we thought they were talking about Michigan, Ohio State, which right. was a good game, but not a bad game. <laughs> we got to the hotel room and realized, oh my gosh, we missed the kick six. Wow. Anyway, fully, fully appreciate your answer. That's my yeah. That, I mean, and, and, and it's funny <laughs> that 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 you have a story about that because you know it's like one of those plate things. Hey, where was I at when this happened? And you know, you, you hey, well, I know exactly where I was at. I was in the cab going back Absolutely. to the hotel. In a cab. Uh, best player in college football history, sir. Wow. Um, well, that I'd have to go way back and say, like, someone like Jim Thorpe. Yes, sir. Because, I mean, at that time, you know, I mean, football was just starting, college football was just starting, and to have someone who was that dominant um, of a player, I would have to say Jim Thorpe. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Chris Zorich. You have been a phenomenal guest. Oh, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. It was fun. You have an open invitation. It was an honor to have you on my podcast. Awesome. I, and, and I, I want to appreciate being a, a person who, um, I'm not necessarily a, a historian, but I, I love college football. Yes, sir. And um, although I've had a chance to play on, on the professional level, I think, I mean, the best four years of my life was in college because of college football. So <laughs> programs like this, and what the National Football Foundation is doing with the Football Matters program. And they're the, the group that runs the College Football of Fame. And they're, they're putting a, a, an important message for people wanting to get involved in football because, you know, football's been under kind of this, this, um, this attack lately from soccer moms and folks that think the game isn't safe, um, you know, they're trying to come up with enough technology that it's going to be the safest it ever was. I mean, is it a safe game? No, it's not. But not everyone is going to have the same results as where where parents are freaking out about. And so with understanding of the game, what you're doing with your podcast kind of I mean, allowing people to kind of see the historical aspect of this this great game that we're playing. I just want to, I just admire you for taking out time that you're dedicating to this great game. I think it's very special. It is quite an honor to hear those words from you. Thank you very much coming from you. Greatly appreciated, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. And go Irish. Go Irish. Well, this is Mr. Chris Zorich. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Zorich. That's at C-H-R-I-S underscore Z-O-R-I-C-H. And his podcast, youtube.com forward slash Chris Zorich 50. Follow this man, Chris, Mr. Chris Zorich. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you. For listening to History of College Football, I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode.